We live in a time where masculinity is shamed and men don't know what it means to be a man. As a pastor and counselor, I've spent the better part of my life equipping and training others. My goal with this show is to translate my hard-earned experience into tools and tactics to help you become stronger as a man. This is the Brave Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Bellant. Well, welcome back to the Brave Co. Podcast. Men, this week, I have one of my best friends on the entire planet, Todd Pierce, Mr. Todd Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, what do I say about you? Well, for those men who don't know who Todd Pierce is, I pity the fool. No, uh, Todd has a ministry called Riding High Ministries, and um, he just has the most incredible ministry because you break wild horses in front of a whole group of people, right? And it's this incredible story playing out in front of people about your relationship with God, right? So when you're breaking a wild horse, you you are taking this animal that's terrified, for starters, to be confined. It's terrified to uh, have a human on it or around it. And you're doing it in such a loving, caring uh, honoring way that eventually at the end of the two hours, that animal has allowed you access into its life because it wants connection and it wants relationship and it's learned to trust. And that's like our relationship with God, which I, we don't have to go into a ton, but that is a like a great picture of what you do. The other side to it is you get your butt kicked. Like uh, you get bucked off, smashed into the fence. I remember the first time that I watched you do this was at the Wildcatter Ranch in Texas, in Graham, Texas. And man, that horse was having its way with you. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you stuck in there. And again, that's part of the relationship building um, process that God goes through with us, right? Because we have so many different places in our life where we try to buck God. We try to to, to get away from him. Um, and we, we are deathly afraid of the intimacy that he's asking for and, and requiring. And, but, um, so that is, that's one, one thing that you do. You do that in prisons, you do that for churches, you do that for, uh, leadership teams. I mean, it's just, uh, such a, uh, phenomenal ministry on top of that. You're a great husband. You're also a great dad. You got boys, got a bunch of cool boys, um, who are also wild men that, uh, that love God. And so, Todd, it's such an honor to have you on here, have you share some of your story in about where you're at in life. But thank you so much, man. Uh, thank you, Jay. And I know everybody listening knows who you are, but uh, just who you are to me. And, you know, you bring to even a cowboy um, dude like myself that really would rather hide behind his strength. Um, you've given a whole bunch of men permission to be vulnerable. And that's just so not a part of the culture I was raised in. So thank you Mm -hmm. for bringing this to the world. No, it's awesome. Um, I'd love to just talk a little bit about your career and um, some of the lessons that you learned in that. Um, And I'm just going to, I'm going to tell people a little bit of your backstory because I I know that you would, but um, I want to get into some of the meat of your life, but your your backstory is you grew up um, pretty pretty lonely. Your horse and your dog were your best friend, yeah. And which 
I just, on one side, I'm like, gosh, I just, I love that guy. Like, I wish I could have grown up and hung out with you. On the flip side, you know, a pretty lonely, pretty lonely uh, exist, home and uh, not a lot of friends and stuff. But um, then you, you became a professional bareback rider for the PBR. So I fast forward a lot uh, in your life. But um, that's kind of what I want to pick up on a little bit is your professional career in in rodeo and and then how you transitioned fully into ministry but todd how did you get into rodeo how did you get to the place where uh you wanted to get on the back of a horse and and show off man i that that would be as short or long a story as it would uh, we got time here for but the the short of it is straight out of high school I, I became a jockey. So I was riding racehorses and which if you're not familiar with the racehorse industry, if all you watch is the races, you're missing most of the fun because getting a horse to the, to that place where they're ready to race, they're, they're bred for fire. And mm. they're um, typically, especially in the um, Southeast Idaho, small world, it was just get them broke enough that they could run in a straight line and turn left. So there, there was no manners required. You didn't need to stop. You didn't need to know how to turn right. It was just run as hard as you can and, and be able to turn left. And so I would get these horses and you don't have much of a saddle. It's, you know, very small saddle with very short stirrups and nothing really to hang on to. And so, I had a buddy that was working at the track and he was talking about, you know, how, what a stud he was and riding bulls. And I'm like, dude, I can ride anything with hair on it. If I can ride these things, I can ride anything. And I really hadn't been around the rodeo culture, even, you know, raised small town, did the horse thing, but really wasn't around a rodeo culture. So I didn't really know what I was talking about, but there happened to be our, local rodeo that coming weekend he's like oh yeah bring it and and you can't just show up at a rodeo and and get on typically yeah but he knew people who knew people and there were horses that weren't gonna have a rider they were turned out is what they call it and and so there were horses that guys had drawn and decided not to show up for and so i got on these horses with borrowed gear and loved it and I was already, you know, just this kamikaze type personality that, you know, we've, we've talked about maybe I've got a brain defect because most humans are born with this danger ahead, you know, stop, turn around. And I don't have that thing. So um, things that should have. I, I, I do just want to clarify that <laughs> for, for people that are, are, that may have missed that. The honest truth about you is that you really honestly without trying don't have the normal fear like warning will roads yeah. and you better turn around there's dang like you don't have that that type like when it comes to uh hold my beer type of situations right like mm -hmm. hey, you ever see this hold my beer uh you don't have that so <laughs> you'll do like uh, for instance a good story is uh we were riding horses at our last um shooting school and there's a really, really steep, like gnarly, rocky downhill. And I'm like, 
oh, dude, there's no way that I would ever even think about going down that. I was like, Todd, would you ride down that? You didn't even say anything. You just <laughs> bailed your horse off the edge and just straight down through all the shale and stuff. And like, you just don't. And because of that, you've broken like half the bones in your body as well. So that's the downside. But the upside yeah. is you just live this fearless, freaking courageous life. So I'm just trying to paint this picture. Like what mm. guy goes from being a jockey to like, the the same that next weekend being like yeah just put me in the rodeo i'm good on borrowed gear todd pierce hold my beer yeah <laughs> well and so it sounds really cool um almost like watching it on tv would be cool it does come with a lot of uh there's a lot of <laughs> you write a lot of checks you can't cash and you know you weed out you you put bravery or and courage in the same thing like I wasn't brave because I didn't have fear. Like it was fearless. So I didn't need courage. And so courage comes when you actually have to overcome a fear. But so it, it started at a really young age that I was like, there's nothing I can't do. Like I can't die. So God, let's just go amazing. for it. And, but, uh, so that started the whole thing. Like what makes me want to was one that, it it's hard I, I liked doing hard things i was everything i'd done athletically up until that point um, from gymnastics to wrestling um you know pole vaulting really aggressive sports really made it to where i was in training to do this particular sport really well especially because i had a savvy with horses and so i went from just in a short amount of time a couple of years uh, of not getting on very many horses to becoming professional. And although I bypassed a whole lot of the skill sets that I should have gained, because there really is some technique to it and some things that I should have learned along the way, but it did turn into a, a beautiful career where mm -hmm. we were able to, um, for six years, we traveled to over a hundred rodeos a year and, um, all over the U.S. and Canada, and it was, for me, a real formative time as well. You know, I was uh, newly married, uh, brand new Christian, truly in love with Jesus, but just barely saved. Like, I don't know if you know those dudes. <laughs> Maybe a lot of you are listening to it. It's like, I didn't know how not to swear. I didn't know how. You know, I was still, you know, drinking like a fish and chewing tobacco and devoted to my wife. So I wasn't a womanizer. You know, I at least got broke off of that. That came with salvation was just that deliverance. Um, but I was, I was still kind of hell on wheels, but in love with Jesus and God's goodness, I think is really what, what I get to do with horses now, I think is it really was just exemplified in those early on years of me wanting to take all of this, whatever that i was yeah. and turn it into something that was useful for the people that i cared about so um i don't want to move on past your early rodeo years just yet because there's <laughs> there, <laughs> there's some juice in there um what happened that first week did you actually ride like did you successfully ride yeah it was it's was actually pretty hilarious because i had been on the racetrack and 
some of these horses would go crazy and they'd end up flipping on the ground with you. And so if a racehorse goes to the ground with you, the men that I was around, they'd get on the horse and make the horse stay on the ground until it didn't want to be on the ground. So the punishment for throwing itself on the ground was you'll stay there. It's kind of like you keep them in time out. And in rodeo, you're not, <laughs> it's a different culture, yeah. right? Yeah. So my first horse I rode, um, I actually, you know, I didn't do anything. I just rode him. But the, the second horse was a, actually a saddle bronc horse. And so this horse went out and ended up flipping over and landed on my leg. And my immediate instinct was to jump on its head. So I jump on the head of this horse and I'm holding him on the ground. Well, the stock contractor, the dude that owns the horse, he's going, you know, ape shit on me. And he's this big old bearded dude and he crawls over the chutes and, and I'm thinking I'm doing this like, dude, this horse is, needs to learn some manners. <laughs> and so anyway, he, he wasn't happy with the whole situation. And plus my leg got really squashed and we were supposed to go to a party that night. So we went to the hospital and borrowed a um, wheelchair. <laughs> and so that was my ride for the night was, you know, a six pack of beer and, and uh, a wheelchair. But that was my first rodeo. The the uh, rodeo world's crazy. I, I don't think that a lot of people understand uh, just how insane that sport is, right? Because when we think about sports, especially in America, uh, you think about football and basketball and soccer, and maybe ping, maybe you throw ping pong in there and like a wild a golf, right? But rodeo is on a whole different level. I mean, even even a whole different level from football because in rodeo for starters like you guys are way underfunded mm -hmm. you're not it's not like you're you know there's a couple of guys in rodeo that make a living doing it like that actually do good doing it there's a whole bunch of starving homeless guys like like really a rodeo is like a bunch of homeless guys that come together to ride animals it really is yeah <laughs> the, the sport has progressed considerably in the last 25 years but yeah. um it still is, man. You're like when you started for sure. Yeah. You even when you're really good, you're starving. And, and so, and you've got very little control over anything, but yourself, because even the animal that you're going to ride, uh, it's all a draw. Um, you, you may or may not even know what the horse is like or what its history is. Bull riding is the same thing. So there's really no preparation that you can go. You can't do anything to prepare for anything other than your own skill and your own equipment. It's so crazy because it, I mean, and then you only have eight seconds to like figure that thing out. It, there's no like halftime or, uh, you know what I'm saying? You don't get a redo. I mean, once in a while, like if, if something goes wrong with the bull or the horse, They'll give you a redo. I can't even remember. Like, uh, I saw a strap fall off the bull one time. And they're like, oh, that guy can get a redo. Or a horse that I think I saw a, in this last rodeo. Um, I don't know if the horse didn't even buck or something. And they gave the guy a redo. But it ain't like, it's not like 
you've got time in your eight seconds to think through like, hmm, this isn't really going well. I need to like make a pivot. It, right. it happens so fast. That sport is so, there's not much margin for error. Yeah. And, and what that does, you know, mentally, uh, I don't even know really how, how to develop that muscle other than you just have to do it because not only is your livelihood or your, your personal health on the line, but you've had maybe 24 hours to think about what you're going to go do and you're driving through the night eating hot dogs um, to get there and yeah. you show up and all of the suspense, all of the preparation, all of the expense, um, it really comes down to you nod your head and it's over like that. And so based on how well you do, um, you may or may not win. Even if you did the perfect ride, half the score comes from the animal, which you had no, you've got no influence over. And, and so it really does get to where if you want to learn what it's like to at least have some personal fortitude that everything around me is out of my control. The only thing I have control over is what, what I do. And it, you know, really does. It's, it's a unique thing um, that we do but it also creates a sense of community. There is a ton of honor in it. Um, you're doing stuff with other men that have, you know, making the same decisions. And there's obviously a, a bunch of toxicity in, in that culture as well, because you're, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of numbing going on with, mm. and you're addicted to attention from people. Uh, so you're performing in front of crowds. So it's not just the judges that you want to do well for, but you're now in front of, you know, large crowds of people. And it's, you know, so it comes with the same temptations of every other sport, only you're not really getting paid for it. And you have very little opportunity to demonstrate your skill. Yeah, no, it's, I have so much respect for those guys that are able to go week after week after week, right? Their body's getting mm -hmm. broken. It's really hard to take a week off because you need the money. Um, and at the same time, you love the sport too. So uh, I was just so much respect for guys that are able to to do that. A um, couple other questions that I, that I always have is, dude, how do you not just completely demolish your testicles when... <laughs> <laughs> When you're like, you know what I'm saying? Like your hands down by your crotch, right? And then mm -hmm. you just like, you get like real cinched up in there, right? And now how it happens, like, and then your hand is, so for, for those of you who've never watched, especially bull riding, like bull riding, your hand's tied in, it's, you're like cinched up, uh, right up against your hand, mm -hmm. uh, into your crotch, and then boom, you're gone. But even even bareback riding, like, how do you not just freaking crush your testicles every ride? <laughs> Bro, <laughs> that's I a draw, legit question. I, I could show you or draw. Yeah, a show me. Yeah, yeah, no, show me. Uh, you need to pull your nuts up. For reals, is that part of it? It you don't want them down, so the your testicles have a great ability to go inside. It's like oh. shrinkage factor. Only 
you intentionally have to just uh, arrange the furniture to where they're not getting squished. I don't think I've ever actually hurt my nuts riding. What? Yeah, I've hurt a lot of things, but now your taint, which if you're familiar, oh, yeah. yeah, that's where you're getting pounded. And God, so dude. prostate type stuff later on in life, you know, can become an issue just because that area of your body wasn't, there's nothing there to protect it. So we do have a, there's actually a pad that I would, because it's a rawhide and mm. leather um, rigging is what I'm, you're riding with in bareback riding. And so there is a, a pad that you can put there to, to help lessen that. But yeah, did you, a good question. Did you put one of those pads there when you rode? <laughs> yeah, we called them the pussy pad. <laughs> Bro, that's, I'm sorry. I bet I you guys just, did. Because everybody had them, but it's only because yeah. we started designing riggins in a way that there was it was sharp and hard. So you did not want to be pounded against it. Gosh dang. Um the other question I have is what's the worst injury that you've had on a horse? Like doing doing rodeo. Like what's the scariest moment you've had in rodeo? <laughs> The scariest. Um, so I got knocked out while I was riding. And so you're you're in a rig and kind of like a bull rope. You can get stuck in it because if you come off away from your hand, and you can see my can hand. Can you explain the rigging? Okay, it's like a suitcase handle that your hand is wedged in. Okay. And you're not just hanging on with your grip. You actually wedge it in there. And once your hand is shut, um, when things are set up right, which is part of what you got to do, that hand's not coming out of there. I'm not just hanging on with, with muscle. It's wedged in there. And so if you get bucked off and you go towards your hand, it'll eventually pull out of the rigging. If you get bucked off, like I'm right-handed, if I get bucked off on the left side, my hand is now above me and my palm is now over the top of my fingers so I can't let go. So I got knocked out on this horse and hung up away from my hand. So my hand is stuck. And when I came to, I was already being drugged through the arena by the horse. And I had a knee brace on that, uh, you know, from a, a knee injury that I'd had previously. And so when I, when I came to, I'm already the horses at a full sprint dragging me and my rigging slid down and now I'm underneath the horse oh. and I'm doing everything I can, of course, to get my hand out. But the whole time the horse is running, his back feet are all over my legs and just stepping on me and ripped my chaps off, ripped my pants off my knee brace was like down around my ankle like a tin can and so miraculously they you know they got the horse stopped and miraculously the only thing that i had was just a whole lot of uh, my skin taken off and, oh and no real injury but it was scary because i was long there enough or, or i was there long enough and coherent enough to know that this is how you die and because I couldn't get away from his feet. 
and I feel like there should be a guy that's just up up there, like on the above the announcer, just with a with a gun. You know what I mean? He's like, I just got to put that horse down. (laughs) I was wishing. Well, you know, we've got two guys that are on horses that are out there that, and their job is to stop that horse in that instant. And I'm not sure what happened, but took them too long to get that horse stopped. but they got fired how's that i don't know if they got fired they never get paid very well anyway and but <laughs> it's two volunteers two just, volunteers I, on yeah, some mules both of them are saying hey dude hold my beer i gotta go get this <laughs> yeah it, no they're actually really good at what they do it just it yeah it, it happens um how did you get knocked out was it one one of those deals where you out of time and you came down and he came up no um it was a horse that was pretty notorious for this uh he as he went forward my head went back and his hip came up and his hip bone just hit me in the back of the head so i was actually riding him properly it's just that he was so strong he would snatch my head back and my head hit his hip holy smokes yeah Man, that sucks. The craziest <laughs> thing to me is like, that's one weekend, right? The very next weekend, you got to go and ride again. Oh, no. We, we don't get a whole weekend. It's the next night because you'll oh, be my gosh. Three, three or four rodeos a weekend. So you yeah. get done with that. You like, you like dust yourself off, pull your There's knee no, brace uh, back up. Yeah. There's no concussions. Uh, what do they call it? Protocol. Yeah. It's like, dude, can you see? And I'm like, mostly. <laughs> like, just point me towards him. And no, it it really, you know, I had uh, probably 15 to 20 full knockout concussions. And so it it is, it's a real thing. And, you know, it, it didn't affect me, clearly. Um, but you didn't you couldn't take time off you really couldn't yeah. and you know i well, got to i think why i highlight it so much is because th- that's like the world that you grew up in and the world that mm-hmm. that you came out of is this like i mean you really do have to be tough right you have to be tough uh you can't feel sorry for yourself uh, on the on one hand like the work ethic of a real cowboy tough as freaking nails dude just the ability to go and go, go. The downside of that is the stuff that we're going to talk about in a minute is emotionally, right? Like the your whole emotional world and like the real vulnerability where you're going like, man, I'm in a lot of pain emotionally or mentally or physically. Like you guys, it, it's almost like you can't live there. And, and I mean, there's probably guys that do it well, but that's not how you grew up. Like you didn't, you didn't go like, man, I feel really, really scared today to get on this horse because I just got beat up and I got all these injuries. Like you're stuffing all that stuff down, right? Emotionally and 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 physically and. Yeah, Jay. To be really honest with you, the the competitive side, <clears throat> the traveling, the injuries, the finances. It was hard. Um. It's not a joke. You you can't be a sissy. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't 
you know my story well enough. That wasn't the hard part. The hard part was I had a woman that I loved. And I, you know, now I'm even had a, a child. Um, by by the end of my career, I had two kids. And so I didn't go into rodeo with a great skill set on how to do relationship. Um, and then you take a very narcissistic sport that makes it to where everything really is about you. It's not a, I'm not a team player. Mm-hmm. I don't work with a team and guys just know that we'll help each other out, but it's, it's you. There's nobody there to help you. You don't have a coach. You don't have a support mm-hmm. team. You've got a few buddies that best they can do is hand you beer and slap you on the back and say, it'll be all right. Um, and that's really legitimately them loving you is Dude, I know it just sucks. Tomorrow will be better. And that's that's the extent of the encouragement. My wife actually wants to leave. We're in Texas. She doesn't want to even be in the camper with me. What do I do? Uh, I don't know, dude. You want to like send her home with the camper? You can jump in with us. It, <laughs> like that that's their like solution. Yeah. And, and that they're not it's not just a bunch of meatheads, no. but, but nobody really knows what, what am I supposed to do when, okay, she actually wants something from me other than my uh, <laughs> rodeo career and, yeah. you know, whatever I thought would be good sex. There's more to this than that. Like you want more than just getting to hang out with me. And, and so it, that's that was when things got super tough is that i couldn't i wasn't built to just say well to hell with you i'm sorry you're unhappy see you later yeah i really cared and cared so much that you know now i'm willing to do anything to to make this right it's funny to to hear about um your life story and your past because the guy i know today you're like one of the most tender, compassionate, like in touch with your heart, like wise men I know. And yet you started out at such a, you know, it's so far away from that because of the culture. And, and, and how did you, like, at what point did you realize like something in my life's got to change? And I, I've got a, you know, I've got a wife that's, that's, needs more connection. I, I need to, I need to grow personally. Like what happened? Hey, Brave Co men. I am here to tell you about our Brave Co testimony book, the father's edition. This is chocked full of incredible testimonies of God coming through for men, for marriages, for finances. And here's why it's important. In Revelations, it says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that is what happens when you get other people's testimonies as you get their breakthrough. And so I want you to check out this book. If you want something that you can give to your son, you can give to your father, you can give to a friend that will really help them out in life, this book is it. You can go to braveco.org and pick up your copy today. Well, it it clearly comes in waves, but um, why it's good for me to hear myself even tell my own story, uh, it's, it's good because we need to have the encouragement of, man, God has been so ruthlessly 
after me mm-hmm. and so patient and so kind and uh but the humility i think really came when i realized that the person i cared about the most is hurting the most at my hand and i can't stop it and even though i wasn't a great listener i still heard what she was saying and i had to realize that okay i've i've mastered not blaming other people in my profession you can't blame anybody for anything because it it just goes right to the next rodeo yeah. and it'll ruin you it'll take what power you have and you give it away because you don't want to carry what what's being dealt you mm-hmm. and so i couldn't just dish this off and and so the i guess the the humility that came with me saying that i don't have the tools i don't have the skill set i don't know what to do and so at at that point in life fortunate for very key men that came along and helped because i'm truly born again like i've got the spirit of god the same spirit that rose jesus from the dead is within me surely i can do this and <laughs> me and jesus we're going to make this right and i meant it it's just that it wasn't working and mm-hmm. and so a lot of uh, a lot of history but um I went from being kind of at the peak of well at the peak of my career to having an injury that turned into what is now known as the end of my career. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but I started mentoring other men in my own brokenness and realizing man nobody knows really what to do and I don't even have the answers for them and and so the huge breakthroughs for me um as embarrassing as it is to say that i did 15 years of ministry still just giving pretty surface level answers to really deep hurting men hmm. um that we got connected with uh bethel hmm. and teaching that was coming danny silk uh, I remember the first time, you know, my wife encouraged me strongly to, um, and I'm not a reader, so reading a book called Loving Your Kids on Purpose. And somewhere along the way, um, through a man named Andy Taylor, I had adopted this idea that I want to father my kids the same way God is fathering me. Hmm. And he's fathering me so gently and so intentionally and why are we teaching our kids about a new covenant jesus and we're raising them in an old covenant home and just this whole world opened up to me that oh i don't have to do it just however i feel like doing it and i don't have to do it the way my parents did it there actually is keys in scripture on how to have a kingdom home and how to get healing for what's going on within you and you know things like culture of honor you know just monumental whole universes open up and and then through my your relationship jay uh emotional awareness you know just self-awareness emotional intelligence uh 
brand new language and and so it it happened way earlier than i realized but looking back on it um there's a whole bunch of men that are just trying to give it a really good go and they're trying their best and they're trying to steward their part of the relationship even their relationship with jesus and it just doesn't seem like it's working Mm -hmm. So I have so much compassion simply because I spent so many years feeling the same way with a heart that really was pure in the sense that I wanted to, I wanted to stop hurting people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know how to uh, be there for my wife and for my kids and, and develop these relational skills that, you know, now we're being able to enjoy the fruit of. Yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, I know your your family really intimately and in, in your boys and um I think the the testimony of your life is so powerful because it's like I literally watched it unfold. At least at least the part that I know, you know, uh I know the the Todd Pierce that first came to Bethel and we first went fishing together and and man, watching you grow over these past, I don't know, handful of years has just been, uh, incredible. And I think a lot of guys on some level, like we all kind of start out in similar stories, not riding horses or, or whatever, but finding at some point that you're hurting in a lot of men start out with the same story, unable to, to really help yourself get well, or, or even know a right path, right. To, to change the culture. How do you fix what you grew up in? How do you change what is your normal? And, and I was talking to, uh, I can't even remember a group of people the other day. Um, and I was, I was telling, Oh, it was a group of men. Uh, I, I lead this, um, this breakout AMT it's advanced ministry training session for school ministry for these, uh, college, uh, not, they're not college students, but adults who came to school ministry to Bethel church. And, and now they want to grow in their life. So we have this men's group, uh, where I teach them the foundations of masculinity. And I was in there and I was just explaining how when you grow up, like I was asking the group, how many of you, got to decide how you were treated. Of course, no one raised their hands. How many of you got to decide whether what home you grew up in, whether you're a Christian, non-Christian, what a Republican home, Democrat home, you know, no one raised their hands. How many of you got to decide how you were talked to? No one raised their hands. You know, how many of you in this room got to choose how much freedom you had? Like you don't. And by the time you realize, by the time you're awake and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm alive and I'm making decisions that are impacting my life. Like you're 15, 16, 17 years old and the whole foundation, the, the, your whole perception of yourself, the world, who you are, the foundation for your confidence and character and morality and freedom, that's all been developed for you. That was all created for you long before you ever realized, man, I need to make some powerful decisions in life. 
and, and even having kids. Uh, so I have five kids now and, mm-hmm. and my youngest is six month old, six months old, Liam and my daughter Edie's two years old. And of course I've got older kids. Uh, there's a, a 17 year stretch between my littles and my olds. And so what's so interesting is right now on a regular basis, I'm thinking about I'm creating my son and my daughter's foundation for how they will do the rest of their life. Like that is my gift to them. My gift to them is they will feel lovable because I tell them they're lovable. They'll feel smart because I tell them they're smart. They feel cared about because I nurture them that, you know, and I'm not bragging on me. I'm literally saying like, that's the foundation. That was what was supposed to be gifted to every child. Right. 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 But so many men and and women didn't even realize, oh my gosh, this operating system that I'm living out of, I didn't create it. It was created for me. And Mm -hmm. now I'm living out of that, right? Because the psychologists would say by the the ages of four to to seven, eight years old, you already have your self-esteem your normals, right, are already established. And you didn't, no one creates their normals. You know, no one individual goes at four years old, like, I need to really think about myself in a more positive light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But so it's so fascinating, right? Because when I look at guys like you, right, your story, you come from. St- this culture that's so incredible. Like, again, I have so much respect for the world that you grew up in, the work ethic and the dedication, the loyalty is fierce and the ownership and, and, but then the other side of the coin, right? There's so much pain and, and just pain inside of it. And like, I think so many guys feel helpless to really turn the corner out of that pain and start to make ground and creating, literally creating a completely new culture in their marriage and the relationship with their kids and the way they see themselves, the relationship with God, right? Cause that's, that's when it gets real. Like, how did you practically do that with your wife? And how did you do that with your kids? And how did you do that with yourself? Can you unpack some of that? Yeah, Jay, you just said so much because this this compassion word is compassion for myself really has to start with what you just said is that i don't like the word victim but i really did live like a victim to my world before i even knew that there was a, such a thing as a victim and mm-hmm. being raised in a in a culture that that does not teach you how to do life in a healthy manner. I didn't choose most of what I believed until I get to choose. But even now that I get to choose, where am I going to go to find out? I would read scripture, but I didn't even understand most of what I was reading. I was fiercely devoted to Jesus. Um, I, I believed in the reality of Holy Spirit doing these things for us. And then I got this revelation on, man, I'm a father. And why is it that a father wants to see his sons and daughters give to each other and be there for each other? Mm-hmm. It's We were wired to 
to glean off of each other's breakthroughs and to do life together. And so much of why it is that people are even listening to this podcast, you at least have a somewhat bought into this idea. And so the practical side of it and everybody's story is so different that I have to say that um, back to the humility thing that I had to not just be able to admit to myself that I needed help, mm-hmm. but I needed to admit to my wife, my kids, to men that I trust that I don't know if you've got the answers or not. I just want you to know that I'm all jacked up and these are the ways that it's showing up in my life consistently that everybody in my home feels pressure when I walk in the door Mm. because guess what? Me being self-critical made me successful. I never gave myself a break. I was ruthless to myself and we call it self-discipline in my world but it was it was cruelty to myself. Mm. I, I didn't understand the pr- the concept of having compassion for what's going on inside of me. It was just all weakness. But when the world starts unraveling around you, and you realize that the way you've been to yourself is exactly how you're now treating the people around you, and they're feeling the the weight of that. They're not. Maybe they're not as tough as you. They're not a child. A four year old's not going to understand your 40-year-old version of self-discipline. He's just going to feel like he failed again. Your wife definitely wasn't built for this. And all you're doing is instilling into her a whole bunch of unrealistic expectations that that I'm projecting onto her. And so in a really practical way, it, it had to start with me just being willing to acknowledge that I needed some help and that I wasn't less of a man because of it. In fact, is it's the first brave thing. It's the first thing that I've ever done. So I'll start crying <clears throat> just talking about it. But because I wasn't used to doing courageous things, me now being afraid, um, had to activate something new inside of me. And so for the first time in my life, courage looked like, hey, Jay, I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. And um, this is what's going on. Uh, hey, Leslie, I know I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm seeing it. I've, I'm, I'm hurting you. I don't know how not to do that. I don't know how to, <clears throat> I almost feel like I want to put a bag over my face because you can read my looks. And I don't want you to read my looks because it's too revealing. And I am critical before I even say it. And, and so it really is a sobering place to get to. It's, it's as though you're getting born again, again, and again, and again, that, oh my God, there's a body and there's a belief system that I, I have to learn to rule. And this pure heart of Jesus that I carry is really the, the source of that. And I had to know how to feel. Um, compassion for mm-hmm. who I was so I could forgive myself and then invite other people into what's going on so that now I'm not just getting new information. That's It's what happened at salvation. It's when we realize that, man, my sin has separated me from 
the God who I love and that loves me. And Jesus fixed that. Yeah. How do I implement that into now? I need, I need to be able to forgive myself. And that's going to create this healing inside of me that I now get to give to other people. And it, and it does come in waves because there's just this glory to glory thing that, you know, we're just on this amazing journey of exploring a kingdom that's eternal. And I don't ever want to stop. I just got done coming out of the Idaho wilderness two days ago and did three days of just fasting and pray. I didn't even take my horse this time, Jay, because the horse becomes almost like a pacifier for me. I just yeah. wanted me and Jesus time. And you feel as though you're kind of suspended between heaven and earth because the possibility is that we can actually be so one with God that his invisible attributes are what's being imparted into us. But we're never going to be able to bypass. I don't believe I, I haven't seen it. We don't get to bypass having these conversations and sharing our life story with other men that we trust, other women that we trust, and inviting this wise counsel into the fact that are we okay saying we don't know what we're doing and that we need help? And that's why I'm so thankful that you're being so proactive and strategic about building programs and doing a podcast and writing books and making it to where, okay, if you're listening to this and you're finally okay, I get it. I need help. Help's available. And, and Jesus wants to partner with what it is that, that you've got in your heart to do. And, and that's why I do love the dynamic of what I get to do with a horse, because you can argue with what I say, but you, you can't argue with what you just saw. And when you see something that's fearful and doesn't know what it's doing, come to a place of yoking itself with infinitely more or larger resource um, simply because of this magic of, of what love and patience looks like, that transformation is available. And that's, that's, that's what we're all going for. We, We've got this image of, man, how did Jesus do it? Like he lived in a world of chaos filled with a toxic culture. And he stayed so connected to the father that he only did what he saw his father doing. And there we are, man. That's what we're being invited into. It's awesome. And so crazy. You know, uh, I think... <clears throat> You nailed it so, so directly on the head with you had the first start with you and taking ownership of where you're at, right? And being really honest about, man, something's like my life sucks right now or this area of my life and, you know, getting feedback from your, your boys. I know that was happening. You just talked about it, getting feedback from your wife, like, Hey man, you're creating a world that I don't like to be around, you know, your wife giving you that feedback. Like, I think the scariest thing on the planet, and, and I'm, I know that, that some guys will make fun of this. The hardest, most scary thing on the planet is 
to hear your wife's emotions, like to hear, to sit in front of your wife and to hear her disappointment of you. And then for you to have to be vulnerable and be like, I just, I don't know what I'm doing. Like for whatever reason, at least for me, that's like the most challenging thing on the planet is to go like, you're so frustrated, you're hurt, you're in pain. I can hear that without like trying to shame her out of that. Like, well, I'm doing all these things and I'm working 40 hours a week. And, but like to actually soak that in and be like, Oh yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know how to fix this. Uh, it was such a like terrifying moment for a man and to hear your kids go like, which I've experienced all these moments myself, uh, you know, and, and still do. Uh, have kids be like, man, I'm really in pain. Like, uh, this is a real pain point for me, dad, to really face that stuff head on and not shrug it off with some sort of anger or some sort of justification, but then to have to, to go, man, how do I fix this? Um, the, the key is like, the key is so, it's so simple and yet so challenging because we're never going to outgrow the need, the the desperate need for real connection and real honesty. When you have to come to somebody else, like when you have to come to, to Danny Silk or when you have to come to, um, to me as a friend and go, man, I'm not doing well. Uh, I'm in the struggle with my wife. Uh, I, I know that this part's my fault. Like, how do I fix that? That is such an incredible, like fruitful, but humbling place to be. And man, I watched you do that so much. Yeah, I I think Jay, I'm I'm trying to. I'm thinking of other guys right now, and uh, so many stories that I I want to like shake something right now because our father is so like like here's the deal when I'm starting with a horse. The problem is, is the horse doesn't know that he's already fully loved and accepted and yeah. that I'm going to, I'm going to come after you. You can come whenever you decide, but I'm not going away. And so if our father is literally in your face today saying that I'm not going away, we're going to do this together. And my resource comes through my word. It comes through worship. It comes through our conversations and just intimacy with, with Holy Spirit. And it's going to come through your brothers. It's going to come through all these other resources because there's nothing that brings a father more joy than to see his sons loving each other. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day that, um, you know, Colton, my oldest, uh, he had gone through two years of BSSM, um, the Bethel School of Ministry, and he was getting all these emotional tools and all these relational tools and i'm trying to keep up and um it's you know some of its terminology but a lot of it's just like brand new ideas like dad it'd be really helpful to me if i could um talk to you about these things that you've hurt me in and i'm like oh hell no <laughs> like don't forget your spot boy uh you know i didn't say that but that's yeah. my culture you don't you don't talk to your dad like that one because i'm afraid of what he's going to say two it's a violation of this 
code that we have of mm -hmm. sons don't get to confront their dads. The pecking Unless, order. You're breaking the pecking order, man. I peck yeah, on like, you, you peck on somebody else. If you want to fight, let's just do it. Like, I'll, I, I can still do that. But no, we're not going to talk about it. And, but gratefully, uh, in that moment, yeah. Yeah, let me, let me hear it. And it started out as him just telling me something. But then it started escalating on his side. And it's so vivid to me because it was the first time that I actually heard my son mm. tell me what his experience to me was. Mm. Because I've got my own perception of what our relationship is like, but I don't know what it's like to be, because he's now talking to me about when he was six. Wow. And, um, and so it was just so healing for us to be able to practically start going through some of this stuff and for me not you know this is what I, I i didn't need to do and i'm grateful i didn't one was defend myself and say well that's not what i meant or mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't want to do that or start feeling sorry for myself or feeling rejected and turn it around to where now this is about me this is about his his deal and yeah. this is a lot of stuff that um you know you mastered and taught me <laughs> Um, but just those, those moments that I think that we can cultivate in our own homes to where, and I struggle with it, like you said, the worst with my wife, because the worst thing that I can ever hear is that I can't trust you with my heart, um, that you're so inconsistent that, um, I don't feel safe hmm. because it sounds to me like okay, now you just attacked every, you're not just saying that I'm doing something wrong. You're saying that I'm wrong. Like there's yeah. something fundamentally broken in me and yeah. it feels so like rejection. And, and so if you got to be ready before you ask for it, because if you're going to create a, a space for your, your family to be honest with you, it's going to be so, so healing and it's so worth it but you've got to make sure that your heart's healed enough to where it doesn't, you don't turn the sword on, on your family. Yeah. Cause then, then they never talk again. Yeah, it's true. And man, I mean, I know you and I can get super fired up about this, <laughs> uh, to the point where, uh, it's just, it's like unleash, unleash the beast and, but I mean, that is why we both do what we do, right? And it, and mm. I think I just want to challenge the men listening to this. Like this is this to me is like an invitation, right? Is it's an invitation to go to the next level of intentionality, of humility, of connection, of relationship with yourself, with God, with real human beings in your life who who want to know you who want to grow with you, who want to build you up and get out of this place where we continue to repeat the same mistakes, the same culture that we grew up with. And it mm -hmm. takes, it takes some, some courageous steps. The truth is, is that you don't have to know how to get yourself to where you want to be. You have to be courageous enough to be willing to invite people into your life. Yeah. 
Yeah. And to be honest enough and to continue the pursuit of that. And I mean, that is the fruit of your <coughs> life. The fruit of your life is like, it's not like, oh, you, you knew how to, you know, solve or respond perfectly to your son. You just went like, man, now I'm responsible for this information. Like I got to go figure out how to, how to live life differently. Like I got to go figure out how to be a dad in a way that I've, I've never had to. And I just can't even explain to men how often I'm doing that (laughs) myself. I grew up in a good home. How often am I coming back to the point where I'm like, Oh, this place right here needs some real honesty, some real truth, some real humility in my freaking ego wants to hide it all, right? Like mm-hmm. my fear wants to just, I just want to pretend that that thing's not there. And, uh, but it's, it's just so freeing and so incredible when, when you don't have to pretend that you have a good life, when you don't have to pretend that you have real, real relationships, but you actually do it. Yeah, I, I know that uh, every man wants to be known as, as being noble. And doesn't matter what culture you're raised in, there's something that God put in us, hardwired us. And to me, especially at this stage in life, that I want my sons, and they have adopted very early on, is that if if nothing's hidden, I've got nothing to be afraid of. Mm. the only thing that that is going to take you out is the stuff that gets hidden and it's not just like you know are you watching porn or are you have you told a lie or mm-hmm. this is actually just there's nothing that there's nowhere that we're not willing to go in special relationships you know it can't be with just anybody you and i have chose to live our lives on display so i'll say this in front of everybody but um there can be nothing hidden. That's just kind of a core value of our, our home. And it's hard to hear sometimes, but when you go down this path, it really is this invitation of no longer being formed by the ways of the world, but we are being transformed and we're becoming what it is that I love to hear you say over and over again, Jay, we're becoming the original intent of God for humanity that the world has experienced freedom for too long that we don't even have any character and our freedom is destroying us. And so these men that are listening to this podcast, women, I'm assuming it now or as well. um, Let's just get honest and get honest enough with ourselves that we can at least start the process because there's no contest. Nobody's trying to compare anything anymore. We've all got stuff that just needs to be dealt with. And none of us want to hurt the people around us. And there's men like you that are just being forerunners in it and just saying, hey, we got a world that wants to talk about everything, anybody, anyway. So let's actually talk about truth. Let's find out what's actually going on in, in this human heart. So that if Jesus said that I get to be the light of the world, that I get to be an image bearer of the one that I call my king, 
that I actually do have an opportunity to represent him along a company of other people so that the world will know that we really are like a city on a hill, mm. that the world's being drawn to its likeness, like they want to be like us. And that's, I believe, an invitation that every man should want to, to respond to, that no other time in history have we needed men or have men been available and have the privilege of being able to stand in front of the world and say, this is what it looks like to be masculine. Man, <clears throat> I love it. Todd, you are one of the most courageous men that I know. Mm. It's just so fun to um, to be able to do this and, and to live life like this. Like, what a privilege. Um, I'd love for you to to pray for us and, and just impart your courage to men. And um, yeah, would you do that for us? Yeah, for sure. Um, Father, thank you that you started this impossible journey of what it looks like to see the human heart redeemed. And we all just want to admit that our sin, man, it just separated us from everything. And so thank you for teaching us how to love and caring enough to, to demonstrate how violent love will look like when it's going after something that it cares for. And we just make a decision before you and consecrate our hearts to you that we, we want to be whole the way you intended us to. And we know that you paid the price so that we can have this. So we just honor you as the giver of life and ask you, Holy Spirit, even through my words, as I declare over everyone listening to this, that you have the courage of God. You have a love that makes it to where fear no longer has to hold you hostage. And Father, thank you for tools. And I just speak, speak words of knowledge and wisdom over everybody that is listening right now, that you can have dreams and visions that are going to be very direct instructions on who to connect with, where to go to with the resources, how to begin being super honest with yourself without shame. In fact, it's shame. I come against you in Jesus name. We have no authority over, over any of these people. And we just receive the covering that comes from the blood of Jesus. And thank you that uh, you always finish what you start. So thank you for letting us be men that bear your image. And when you created us in your image, we want to, we want to see that. So we just dedicate our lives to you again in becoming whole. And I ask you to continue to bless Braveco and my friend Jason as a man that has uh, chose to just step outside the, the crowds and say, uh, as for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. And that's you, Jesus. So we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tom, thank you so much, man. Thanks for taking time out of your um, sabbatical mm. to be with us and uh, to share your story with us and just give an impartation to, to every man that's listening. So thanks so much, man. I love you. Love you too, Jay. And uh, Brave Co. Men, <clears throat> hopefully this motivates you this week, inspires you to go to the next level of intentionality and relationship with the men around you, with God, and, and the people that you love the most. So have an incredible week. Stay brave.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the Brave Co. Podcast. If you like this podcast, would you please rate it, review it, leave us a great comment. And if you like this episode in particular, share it with your friends and family. That helps us to spread the word. Guys, stay brave. We'll see you next week.